Yeah, so at the highest level, it's an acronym. It's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. So you buy a property, other people's money, renovate a property, other people's money, place a tenant in it, refinance it with the bank, and you end up owning a property, ideally, if you run the numbers correctly, with none of your own money out of pocket, and you make money every month in cash flow. So it's I always say like you're getting a free house with none of your own money. Perfect. What's up, everybody? It's Jamel Gibbs. Welcome to another podcast episode. This is the Business and Investing Podcast, where we talk about all things business and investing related to help you go from where you are right now to where you want to go in your real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk to our special guest who has mastered the Burr strategy. And this is the strategy that I personally use in order to get started in a real estate investing business. And up until this point, he's 27 years old but he's built up a $10 million portfolio. And I had to get him on the line. I was in a clubhouse room with him about a week ago. I said, man, I got to get you on the line. And he agreed to. So I appreciate you uh, coming out on a, uh, and hanging out with us, Austin. Austin Rutherford. What's up, man? What's up, brother? I'm lo- looking forward to this, man. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, man, it's a pleasure, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on the line with us. I know that, you know, as business owners, we could be very busy, right? I understand that. Uh, sometimes it's hard for us to to give back. And that's why we do this podcast. That's why we do things like Clubhouse and, and other social media platforms to provide value to the world. Because sometimes, you know, I, I know for me, when I first started in real estate, I had $250 in my name, man. And I needed a way out. But nobody could ever show me that because there weren't platforms like this available. We didn't have yep. podcasts and, and stuff like that back then. But uh, that's that's part of my reason part of my drive for wanting to put out so much content to the world and help other people who who have access to this type of information, unlike I did when I first started, man. So really appreciate you jumping out, brother. 100%, 100%. Looking forward to it. Hey, man, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. uh, So Austin Rutherford, uh, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, original dream was to go to the NBA, be a ball player. You know that, that things didn't work out on that side of things. Uh, <laughs> so I ended up reading a book when I was 19. It was, it was a book called Think and Grow Rich. And it opened up my mind to the possibility of making money outside of, of the NBA. And, uh, you know, ever since then, I got hooked on real estate. I bought my first rental property when I was 20. Uh, flipped my first house when I was 22. Um, you know, 27 now. And, and, you know, we do wholesale, flipping, new construction, rehabs, a little, little bit of everything now. Yeah, man. So how long you been in the business at this point, bro? Um, I bought my first house December 2013. 2013, man. And yeah. like I, I knew I knew we had something in common, man. I knew that's what it was. You started at 20 and I started at 21. That's it. what it was. It. <laughs> right. And, and at the end of the day, obviously, I started, you know, 11 years before you did. But you've made a lot of you. You've been very successful in this business, made a lot of headway in this business, man. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, man. So you started off in 2013. Uh, what got you into real estate in the first place? I mean, I don't know where I read it, but there was some fact, and I don't even know if it's accurate, but it said 90% of all people who filed a tax return with a million dollars or more uh, on it had real estate in their portfolio. I was like, all right, real estate it is. So just dove in, started reading, and I felt, uh, read about passive residual income, rental properties. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to make money without doing anything for the rest of my life. 
Uh, so that's what got me hooked. And, uh, you know, that's what got me looking for for, uh, for that first rental property. Got you. Got you, man. So it was it was two. You had two choices, basically. Right. It was the NBA or it was real estate. And, and you know, yep. what's so funny, man. With the NBA, most of them going to end up if they don't blow their money, most of them end up in some type of business anyway. So why not choose real estate? Right. <laughs> uh, that's how I look at it, bro. You know, when the door closes, another one opens, the bigger one opens. That's right. That's right, man. So so you made the choice to jump into real estate. You read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that back in 1998, bro. It's been around for a while, man. I read I read that when I was in high school. Uh, I think I was in my junior year in high school going into my senior year. And, you know, for me, that book changed my life. It changed the way I looked at numbers. It changed the way I looked at business and working for somebody else in general. Uh, yeah. I grew up in a project, so that was my education. I, I didn't go to college. Right. Yeah. Um, so for you, you read this book um, and it changed your thought pattern on business in general. What sparked your interest besides, you know, obviously millionaires were the ones with the, uh, you know, with, with the, you know, filing the big tax returns. I mean, bro, I just I never liked like having people tell me what to do in life. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs have. Like nobody wants to be told what to do, when that's to right. do it and how to do it. Uh, so I just wanted freedom. You know, my, my original why was like money and freedom. That was it. I wanted the money to have the freedom. And it's changed since then. But, you know, that's that's what it was at the beginning. You know, I saw an avenue to make real money and to have the freedom that I wanted. So I was all in on it. Got you. Got you, man. So let me ask you this. Were you ever in the corporate world at all? Uh, so I got a valet job uh, when I was 19. I did it for like two years. Um, and it was while I was trying to start the real estate business and, uh, I flipped my second house and then quit that. I actually went to college. I promised my mother I'd go to college, dropped out of college, quit valet, went all in on real estate. So obviously you started young. So was it an easy transition being so young to get into the real estate business? <sighs> So like, I've always been a worker, right? You know, I, I used to pride myself on like, oh, I'll work anybody. And I still will today, but like, that's not the goal. The goal is to have the freedom, right? But back in the day, I was just grinding. Like all day, every day, I had a, a lawn mowing business, a snow shoveling business, a Buckeye necklace business. I used to buy candy from Sam's Club and flip it in high school. They thought I was slinging dope out my backpack. Principal called me into the school. So like, I've always been like trying to get money, right? And uh, so like, I've always had that thought process. But real estate is a whole different animal. You know, you got to have like, you know, you got to think high level about yourself. You got to be confident in yourself. You got to have real money if you want to do real, real size deals. Uh, so it was like definitely a little bit of nervousness. Like, all right, well, how am I, how am I actually going to get this done? Uh, so it was a process at the beginning and especially starting at a young age. You know, all my friends, you know, when they were going to school and college learning about business, I was doing business. And we were like on two separate paths at times. And like I, I ended up losing a lot of friends, unfortunately. Um, some of them came back, but like nobody knew what I was doing. Like we joke about it now, one of my best friends and they're like, we never understood what you were doing when you said you were working because you weren't making any money. But I was like, that's, that's how it starts. Like you got to put the grind and you got to put the time and that's how you build a business. So, uh, when you start, you're always going to have negativity around you, people looking down on you, people telling you, you can't do it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, winners win. So you always got to find a way to get through it. Hustlers mentality, man. Do you think that you think that you're born with the hustlers mentality? Or is it something that, that you kind of pick up as time goes on? Um, it can be learned for sure. Uh, I think it can be learned. I, I, there's like an it factor, right? Like when I was young, I, I never talked to people. I was nervous. I never put myself on camera. 
So like, I feel like I wasn't like the biggest like driver even then, but compared to now it's like way different. Like I'm way more confident, which I feel like everybody should have insane confidence in themselves. Uh, so I think it's something that, that can be learned along the way too. You know, I was talking to, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the book, the eggshell effect um, uh-huh. is a guy named Joel Hoke. Uh, and I'm actually going to have him on my podcast. He, he reached out to me on Instagram about a week ago, been communicating with him and just doing some stuff with him. Man, I heard about the book about five, six years ago, I want to say. And it's more of a mindset type of book. So I definitely I think I'm going to have him on a podcast. But, um, you know, just talking to this guy, you know, he mentioned something to me. He said, just just listening to, to my story. He knew that something happened in my life before I was 10 years old to, to either make me the person I am today. But I could have went the opposite way as well. You know, yeah. for me, I started, my mother put me on a newspaper route. We didn't have a lot of money. So I had to help pay bills at seven years, excuse me, seven years old. You know what I mean? So that was the driving force. I'm trying to, I think, and, and what he was able to gauge from that whole conversation was he said, because I, I've been, you know, I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money as I was growing up. And because of that effect, he said, Right now, at 40 years old, I'm still trying to get as far away from poverty as possible. And that's what's driving me today. He said, now, you can operate out of, he said, you can operate out of two different things. Out of fear, which is basically what he said I'm operating out of, or you can operate out of love. And if you operate out of love, basically, you're operating on a whole different stratosphere, right? I thought that was some real deep stuff, man, when I was talking to him. But what, what do you think, my, my question to you is, what do you think was the driving force for you to start so young in business? Bro, I, I, like, I've, always been a, I, I've always been a competitor. You know, I always like to win. You know, I always like to, like, if somebody says something, I use that as motivation, like, bet. You know, I, I don't hate on anybody. If you're winning, like, we, we both going to win, and I'm going to win a little bit more than you. But, like, we're going to keep rising up to the challenge. So I think, like, being an athlete and having that competitive spirit you know, definitely helps in business because like we all got some egos, you know what I mean? It's called spade to spade. So when we go out there and we compete on right. the entrepreneurship field, we want to win, right? So, you know, we're always going to find a way. So the, the, the competitiveness has definitely helped me for sure. Absolutely, man. And I used to play ball as well, man. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Play football, basketball, and I used to, I used to fight. I used to do boxing as well. And uh, like you said, man, I think athletes make some of the best business owners there are because of the competitive spirit that we do have. Um, yeah, we, we want to see others win as well, but we're also competing against ourselves and make sure that we're the best that we could be. I was going to say, that's a big thing. A lot of people compare. Like when I started, I was comparison. comparison. I don't know the word, but I was comparing myself to others, right? Can't do that. Like you, you got to look yourself in the mirror. You got to be the best you at the end of the day. Because you compare, like I, I can compare myself to you. You're 10 years ahead of me, right? I compare, somebody else is comparing myself, themselves to me and they're 10 years behind me. You know, everybody's got their own journey in life that they got to go through. And like comparison is literally the root. If you get caught up in comparison, you will never, ever, ever be peaceful and happy. It's not possible. Yeah, for sure, man. That's why, you know, stuff like Instagram, social media in general could be dangerous, man. Because you, you com- you're not comparing yourself for yourself. You're, you're looking at what everybody else has and you're, uh, it's almost, you're, you're envying that person for what they have, but not knowing everything that they went through to get that. You know what and I mean? Not even that. Like you see the one percent of what they want you to see, right? So like, you think they live like that all day, every day. Like everybody has a good moment. You know what I mean? And that's what you see, and you're like, oh man, that's what they do all day, every day. And that's not it. You know, I say all the time, you can't believe everything you see on social media. Love it, man. Love it. So did you do you think it took a mindset shift 
for you? It sounds like you, you already had like the hustler's mentality, but did it take a mindset shift for you to start your own business being that young? Yeah. So, so my mindset, my big mindset shift was about two, three years ago. Uh, so I was in the game, you know, for about three years, making decent money, you know, a couple six figures a year. And, you know, I was, I was doing okay as a 23, 24, 25 year old. But the thing that's changed my life entirely is when I truly started believing in myself. Mm -hmm. And if I'd have been believing in myself from day one, like the way I believe in myself now, like I'd be on a whole nother stratosphere. A lot of people doubt themselves, you know, that they, they listen to all that hate and all that negativity and all those people trying to hold them back. But when you truly like believe in yourself and there's a difference between like cockiness and confidence, you know, you should be as confident as humanly possible. Cockiness is a different story. You don't want to take it that far. But to be great, like you have to have confidence. The greatest people on earth, the Elons, the Jeff Bezos, everybody, they believe in themselves. And you can't tell them anything about their business and themselves because they don't care. They, they're doing the best that they can do for themselves at the end of the day. So I had a mindset shift. You know, like I said, I, I never talked to women. I would stand in the corner at like dances because like I don't want to embarrass myself. Like I was I was a, a an eggshell, right? Like you said that, that book earlier. But it's changed dramatically over the last like two, two and a half years. So like being outspoken, getting on social media, telling a story, motivating people, inspiring people. And my business has blown up because of that as well. So I think it's a bit, very important thing that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about is just the confidence and believing in oneself. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy, man. That eggshell and just being able to have that uh that confidence in yourself, which will allow you to go anywhere you want to go in business, right? Be able to build what you want on your own terms at the end of the day, right? Um, so obviously, as business owners, we face obstacles, right? What were some of the obstacles that you faced, you know, uh, getting to your first ten million dollars? I mean, just just the first deal for real. So like, so my first deal was a rental property at the age of 20. And then I got put on to flipping houses. So I invested into a mentor. I paid $25,000. I maxed out my credit cards. And from that point to the point I actually made money in this business was a 16 month grind, like 16 hmm. months straight. I was working 50, 60 hours a week in ballet. I was going to college full time, taking 15 credit hours. I was a licensed realtor looking at houses and making offers every single day. And I was handwriting letters in my parents' basement until about 2 a.m. So I was for 16 months in a row. Like a lot of people give up on month one or two or five or 10. But I always say it's never a matter of like if something's going to happen. It's only a matter of when something's right. going to happen. So as long as you stick to it, you know, you're going to be all right. So that that was definitely one struggle at the beginning, just like getting through the, the mud and getting started. Uh, and another one, like we all go through L's. Like I sold a house today. I lost 19,000 and some change on. So, you know, those knockdowns, those negative moments in your life, a lot of people like dwell on that. And then they, they like that just draws it back for a long time. So we're all going to go through negativity, but you literally just got to like keep on moving. You know, you lose one here. You got to go make five, 10, 20 more over here. Uh, so, you know, there's been a couple couple mindsets, uh, shifts, and then uh, definitely putting yourself around the right people. Uh, it's been very, very important. You know, I'm a big believer in mentorship. You know, a lot of people are like, why would I pay for education, right? I believe in education massively. You know, I spend fifty to $100,000 a year in masterminds and mentorship because I believe in the power of putting myself around other people. Uh, and if you're in the right circles, they're just going to force you to level up to make more yeah. money at the end of the day. So it's never a cost. It's always an investment. That's right. So, so I'm hearing I'm hearing a couple of different things, man. I'm hearing sacrifice. I'm hearing persistence, dedication, uh, being willing to invest into yourself. I'm hearing all of these different things, man. And if you talk to anybody who's successful, uh, the story is always the same. Obviously, we all have different stories, uh, the way our stories are played out. But those core 
uh, key words are in everybody's discussion when it comes to, you know, their story and how they succeeded, man. So that's some good stuff right there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, persistence, dedication, sacrifice, you know, being willing to invest in yourself, education, things like yeah. that. But more important than all of that, you took action at the yeah. end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the most important. Like you said, more important than everything else, you actually got to put in the work and take the action. People ask me, like, what's the secret? What's the shortcut? The shortcut is doing the work. That's the only way I get it done. That's right, man. And just to kind of couple my story with yours, man. And I told you when I heard you on Clubhouse that day, the story sounds so familiar. It was my story almost. You know what I mean? I uh, it took me 13 months to get my first fifteen hundred dollar check. I love it. I you know what it. I mean? But then the next check was 48 grand. It changed my life. I was living in the projects and mm-hmm. I made a $48,000 check, man. That was more money than both my parents made in an entire year collectively. Love so it. I did it in a month, man. Um, good stuff, man. And, you know, that's, that's, the, that's what real estate investing can do for, for anybody listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube right now, right? So let's talk about how you got there, right? We're, we're talking about the burn strategy today. What is the burn strategy for those people who are listening who don't know? Yeah, so at the highest level, it's an acronym. It's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. So you buy a property, other people's money, renovate a property, other people's money, place a tenant in it, refinance it with the bank, and you end up owning a property, ideally, if you run the numbers correctly, with none of your own money out of pocket, and you make money every month in cash flow. So it's I always say like you're getting a free house with none of your own money. Right. So if Somebody didn't have the, the the credit right now, or they didn't have the money to do it. Um, what would you recommend? How how should they start off with this type of strategy? Yeah, so like my first deal, the first deal that I did, uh, I raised money from a private money lender. So people like will always jump on like Google private money lenders, and those are different. Those are called hard money lenders. If you can find them on the internet, they're hard money lenders. They're institutions that lend money to real estate investors. They do credit checks, they do background checks. You need down payments. You got to make monthly interest payments. Like it's a business. But private money lenders are private. You literally have to find people and build relationships with them. And then they trust you to invest with you and you give them an opportunity to invest in your deals. So that's how I got into the game. My first deal was a quarter million dollars. I raised from somebody else, did the entire renovation, made $100,000 plus in net profit. And even to this day, every deal that I do, I still use other people's money. So you don't need the money. You don't need the credit. It helps. You don't need it. You know, you got to go out there and you got to network and meet private money lenders to be able to fund the purchase and renovation of these deals. Got it, man. So if someone, let's say, for example, someone's working on their first deal, what should those numbers look like in order to make sure it's a solid deal? Yeah. So you, you got to talk to banks first to see what they'll refi you out at. So like I have some banks that will refi us out at 80%. I got some banks that will refi us out at 70%. Big, big difference. So you mm-hmm. got to know what the exit's going to be. Uh, so let's say that the bank will refi you at 75%. You want to be all in for less than 75%, ideally less than 70%. So an all-in number is different from what most people think. They think the all-in is the purchase and the rehab. Now, those are two numbers that you have to include, but there's other things like insurance, like utility bills, like grass cutting, like interest that you have to pay the lender, like closing costs, like appraisal fees. So you have to factor in all the costs to truly get a deal with no money out of pocket. So you can be all in purchase and rehab for 70 and then there's going to be at least another 5% and in interest and lender fees and stuff like that. So you're all in, you want to be less than what, you know, for this example, 75%. So then you, when you refinance it, you have no money 
out of pocket. And if you have a really sweet deal, you actually on the refinance get money back to you that you put in your pocket and it's 100% tax free. So if you get a $10,000 check back, it's tax free. It's like getting a $15,000 check because you don't got to pay taxes on it. That's right. So just to give you an example of uh, one that we're doing right now, using private funds, uh, we bought a property is worth 120,000 once it's fixed up, right? Yep. We got it for $60,000. We're going to put about 15 grand into it. So we're all into this property at $75,000. Uh, once we pay the lender and everything, we'll be all in around $80,000 more so than anything. Yep. And then we'll refi cash out at 80 cents on a dollar with a local, uh, a small local bank here at 96. Uh, so at 96,000, we're putting $16,000 of tax free money in our mm. pockets. Uh, and the reason why it's tax free, just for, you know, just to Austin's point, uh, it's not income, it's a loan, right? Yeah. So you don't pay taxes on borrowed money, right? So that's money that goes in our pocket. We only pay taxes on it. Well, we're going to pay the difference in the taxes when we actually sell the property if we sell. So that's how that tax game works. You can literally pull money out of these properties and literally stuff it in the bank without paying taxes on it. Right. And I'm not, look, talk to your accountants. We're not tax specialists <laughs> or anything like that, but that's basically how the game works. Right. 100%. So you started off with the first one, right, Austin? How yeah. did you get to, to let's say your uh, $10 million mark or your 10th one and then to your million dollar mark and then your $10 million mark? Like, how, what does that look like today, man? For sure. So everyone gets into the rental game and like getting one rental that you make an extra $200 a month on is not changing anybody's life. Right. right. It might help some people, but it's not like drastically. Pause. Pause right there for one second. Are you looking for $200 per month per property? We look for 400, but like at the end of the day, net, net, net might be 200 to 300. Mm hmm. So after expenses, well, you, you factor out the um, the vacancy on the entire portfolio, all that stuff. But we look at, you know, in a good day, 400, 400 net per door per month. Got you. OK, so so um, so you you built up a 10 million dollar portfolio. I cut you off for a second. What does that look like again? Yeah. So the beginning is always the hardest, like the first, second, third fourth is like tough. But once you get to like 10 and then 15 and then 20, it just starts bankrolling itself, which is the beautiful part. So at the beginning, it, it sucks. You know what I mean? It takes some time, takes some energy, takes some money, takes some effort. Uh, but as you grow it, it's it's game over. So I started with a duplex and then a single. Um, then I house hacked a, another duplex. Uh, you know, I live in the unit. I rent the other unit out. It covers my mortgage payment. I kept taking my extra money, buying more rentals, doing the bird method. And we ended up getting to like 20, 25 or 27 units or something. Um, and this was about a year ago. And then I just had like a light bulb go off. And I was like, bro, like we're chasing deals every single day in the flipping and wholesaling game. Like, why don't we just stack a massive amount of rental properties? And then we never got to worry about, you know, money going forward. So a light bulb lit, you know, I was like, but we're done flipping. We're done wholesaling. And we do sometimes, like if the cash flow numbers don't work, we'll flip it or wholesale to still make money on it. But we just started keeping everything. And then we went on like a tirade. I bought like 50, 60 properties, units uh, in like a six to nine month period. And we're just actually finishing up the stabilization of them. I got a, a refi uh, next week that we're closing uh, probably the last 13 units. There might be a couple more. Um, so we'll have like 60-ish stabilized and like 10 or 15 more that we're finishing up. Uh, but like once you get a big enough portfolio, it just starts bankrolling itself. And then you get in, you know, we got a couple million dollar properties. This refi will be like one, 1. 1.3 or 1. 1.4. Uh, so it just it just starts feeding itself. 
And the, the thing I would definitely say is don't just play around in the singles for the rest of your life. You know, get in the game and start getting bigger and bigger units because those zeros <laughs> add up a lot faster. Yep. How long did it take for you to get to that? Um, I guess to a point where you you felt like, okay, this is this is to get to your 20 properties. You're saying, okay, I can definitely these properties at 20 or so can bankroll themselves. Now, how long did it take for you to get that 20? Four and a half years, five yeah. years. Because like it, what you focus on grows. Right. And I wasn't focusing on the, the, the rental game. I was focusing on the flipping and the wholesaling. You know, we were doing multiple six figures net a month. But like, again, we're always chasing that deal. So when I turned the focus to something new, then that's what we started getting. We started buying rental properties. And then that's what grew at that point. Got it. Uh, so yeah, it took five years to get 25. And then it took less than a year to get like double that. So if you focus on it, it, it grows. So you got about 50 to 60 right now, roughly, give and take. Uh, we got like 70, 75 right now. 70, 75. Okay. And when you use words, just for our listeners to understand, when you use words like stabilization, what does that mean? Yeah. So in the Burr method, the first two letters is buy and renovate. So you're buying a property undervalued, whether it needs work or whether it's just rented low, you're buying it undervalued and then you have to stabilize it, which means get it up to today's standards, whether that's increasing the rent and or renovating the property, renting it out to a new tenant. So you've stabilized the property is now a cash flowing asset. And then you refinance it with the bank afterwards. Right. Absolutely, man. And, our, you know, obviously with this method, with some banks, this is why uh, Austin was saying you got to do some research on your lenders beforehand. Some of them want you to have a season period before you can refi cash out, right? So uh, some of them are six months, some of them don't care, right? But you got to do your research with these lenders in order to make sure that you can get your money out of it as quickly as possible. A big thing too, like people, they'll talk to one bank and the bank will be like, oh, you, you got a 12 month seasoning period and we don't do cash outs. We just give you your money back, but nothing more. And then people are like, think like, that's it. And then they think we're, you and I are sitting here lying to them, right? The thing with it is all banks are different. Right. All banks have different guidelines. So if one bank says no, cool, go to the next one. They say no, go to the next one. And if the first 50 say no, go to the next one. And then you'll find somebody who actually give you, gives you the terms that you actually want at the end of the day. That's right, man. You know, now I'm, I'm huge on cash flow. It took me about five, maybe six years to really figure out, uh, you know, from being a, a rehabber, uh, using a burn method, but I wasn't keeping any of your properties. I was selling them on a lease purchase, right? Nice. Generally, I wasn't keeping the houses. Then I got into wholesaling. You know, I found that throughout the years, I wish I would have known to keep more houses uh, nice. over the years, right? So uh, I got, you know, I'm really big into creative investing in addition to wholesaling. But like you said, we only wholesale the deals that we don't want to keep, right? So uh, I love the cash flow method, man. Um, it literally will create that financial freedom that you're looking for in your business, whether it's through the burn strategy or through creative investing. I do both, right? Yep. So with that being said, right, if we had to provide our listeners with a step-by-step -step process, let's say three to five steps from going where they are right now to where they want to go using the burn method, what, what would those steps look like in your opinion? Uh, so the first is always education, you know, understand how to evaluate deals. You know, I'm sure you got YouTube videos on it. I got YouTube video videos on it, but understand what the numbers need to look like for a bird method. Step number two, like we already said, you actually have to take action and implement. Mm -hmm. uh, then from that point forward, you know, it's finding the right opportunities, it's putting the pieces together. So you got to find the bank that will do the refinance. 
And then you got to find the deal. And if you have the money, you're good. And or you got to find the private money lender to fund the deal. So education is number one. Implementation is number two. Uh, deal, private money, and then uh, bank to refinance. Got you, man. Now, what if somebody doesn't have great credit? So, so when you when you go to refinance, it's a great point. So when you go when you stabilize it and you have to refinance it with a bank, this is how I started. You know, when I was young, I had I had no tax returns. I had you know really no credit, so I couldn't qualify for the refinance on the deal. Uh, so what I did at the beginning is I used wholesaling and flipping to stack up money to pay off debt to increase my credit and to get good tax returns. And then you have the you have the qualifications, and then you can start implementing the Burr method and do and keeping them from cash flow. The other option is to get a cosigner. So a right. cosigner is like somebody who has the credit and has the income to co-sign on the deal with you. You know, if you have a family member, that's awesome. But if not, you can find another high worth, high net worth individual and then maybe give them a piece of the deal or a piece of the equity or whatever it is to get started so you can start building up your portfolio. That's actually how I got started. When I first started, uh, I don't, you know how it is because you registered for college, right? So I registered for Mega Evers in Brooklyn, New York. It was a community college, but I never mm -hmm. went. Okay. And um, I got all these credit card offers and I destroyed my credit at like 19 years old. Uh, so I needed a co-signer to help me start off using a bird method when I started. Right. So uh, she had great credit, but she didn't have a, a huge income. But she, because of her credit score it was like in a like close to 800 or something like that. We were able to uh, to 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 make, you know, make some things happen with the with the banks. Once your credit hits a certain point, they don't even look at certain things. At least that's the way it was back then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but um. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, if you can get a cosigner, that's that's the easiest way to get in. And then everybody's winning at the end of the day. That's right, man. You make sure that they make some money. You make some money. Everybody's yeah. happy. We create and win-win situations, man. That's what real estate is all about at the end of the day, right? 100%. 100%. So we got, you know, we have these, these, these steps in order to go from where our listeners are to achieving the Burr method. There's one thing, though. And I'm sure you, you've run into this in your business as well, right? Once you hit a certain amount of properties, uh, even building up local relationships with these small local banks, is there a certain time point or a certain point in your business where they're going to cap out the amount of loans that you have to get? And do you have to go to the next bank to get, in, to get a loan to keep growing your portfolio? Absolutely. So I started out with Fannie and Freddie mortgages. So those are the government backed entities that you can get from Chase, Wells Fargo, brokers. They're like the ones that are out there all over the place. Right. And you exactly. can get 10 of those. Right. You can get 10 singles or you can get 10 doubles or you can get 10 quadplexes. So try and get like multi units because then you'll stack up faster. It's the best terms you're going to get is 30 years and it's a low interest rate. So do as many of those as possible. Those are usually the ones with like real seasoning requirements. Um, so you got to ask those questions as well. Uh, once you get 10, everybody's like, all right, well, I can't, I can't buy any more houses. You know, I'm, I'm done. I got my 10. No, like you said, you got to build uh, networks uh, with like small regional local banks. And some of the best banks are like the ones like in Podunk, Hillbilly right. Town, like they have to lend money, right? So build relationships with them. And then each bank caps out as well. Again, every bank's different, but one bank may have a million dollar limit or a $10 million limit. And then when you hit that, they're like, hey, you know, to, to, so we keep our books right. We can't lend you any more money. So sometimes they actually have referral banks that they'll refer to. And then that bank will refer to them. 
Um, other times you just got to go out and build a relationship with another person. So uh, you it's always, I always say, you know, dig you well before you're thirsty, you know, right. always be raising private money, always talking with lenders. You always have to have those in the pipeline. Cause even if, let's say you got $10 million and a $20 million deal lands on your lap, you ain't got enough money. You always got to be building those relationships at the end of the day. Love it, man. So you, you really want to focus on yourself. You could, you could go the route that Austin just said, you could get 10 houses, 10, uh, uh, Fannie and Freddie back loans, basically, uh, under your personal name. And if you have a spouse, uh, that your spouse can get 10 as well. Uh, yeah. then after that, you focus on non, non QM banks, you know what I mean? Uh, banks that, you know, you don't have to worry about qualified mortgages and things like that. They yeah. kind of create their own rules and yeah. is more relationship based than, than, uh, qualifying based than anything. Now, obviously they're going to have their own qualifications for you to get a loan, but you build that relationship with them over time. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give you as much money as you need. Uh, those are called portfolio loans as well. You know, portfolio loans are huge and uh, you can buy multiple properties using those types of loans. For sure. It's something you glanced over, but it's huge. You said it, but like, I want I want to make sure that the listeners understand it. If you have a significant other and you guys co-sign on mortgages, you're burning mortgages. If you both co-sign on 10 houses, that's all you get. But if you have 10 and she has 10, now you get 20, right? So you, you glanced on that. I just want to make sure they understood because like that's a game changer. If you have somebody else, don't co-sign. Get 10 separate. So you now you have 20 instead of 10. That's right. And you can always put them under a land trust. You know, I like to refine a, in a, 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 with banks that allow me to uh, put the property under a land trust just for privacy purposes, right? Uh, you can you can always go that route as well. That's just another gem I wanted to drop on you guys as well, man. So we got the three to five step process. Obviously, there's a lot more to the equation, man. I know you have a YouTube channel. How should our listeners reach out to you in order to get more information on how this method actually works? Yeah, so YouTube channel, you know, got a bunch of videos on there. It's Austin Rutherford on YouTube. Um, and then Instagram is probably where I'm most active at. You know, I responded to DMs and stuff. Uh, so Instagram is Austin Rutherford official. Uh, so hit me up on, on either of those places. I'm on TikTok as well, Austin Rutherford. And I'm going to make sure I link all of that in the description box of in, in the show notes of this uh, podcast as well, man. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's in the description box. And if you're uh, listening to this on a podcast, it's definitely in the show notes. Uh, so Austin, man, obviously success comes to those who continue educating themselves. Would you agree with that? 100% for sure. So what, what books would you say you're currently reading right now? Uh, so I, actually, funny story. I read a whole book yesterday and I read a whole book this morning. Uh, so the book I finished yesterday was called uh, wow, Multifamily Millions. So talking about going bigger, right? Multifamily Millions. It's a great book. Um, and I read a book this morning that's called the, six, the 16 Word Sales Letter. Um, and that talks about, you know, how to write sales copy. Uh, you know, I'm a big believer if you can market and if you can sell, you can do whatever you want in this world. That's right. So th those are the two books that I read. Cool, cool, man. Do you think anybody can implement the birth strategy today in order to create wealth and real estate? Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely, 100%. man. You, know, you, so you may have to raise private money. You may have to get a co-signer, but there's a way for anybody to get involved right now. So what I'm hearing is you got to step outside of your comfort zone and get to work. Roll up them sleeves. 100%, right? bro. There, That's there's right, no growth in the comfort zone. That's right. That's right, man. You got to be outside of that box. So. For sure. At the end of the day, man, if you had to give our listeners some last words to go from where they are right now to where they want to go 
in the real estate business? What would those words be? Uh, so something I heard a long time ago when I was like 16, maybe, and it's, it's set with me ever since. Uh, understand the value of time, right? People mm. like think time is just like this thing that you just use. But when you truly understand the value of it, you use it differently. So I always say, look at it like this, figure out the number you want to make in a year, whether it's a hundred grand or a million dollars, then divide that by 2080, which is 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. That's how much your hourly time is worth. So if you're going out there and partying every single night and every single weekend and having a hangover and not waking up till noon, you're wasting a whole bunch of time. If you're sitting there playing video games your whole life, like you're wasting a bunch of time unless you're getting paid the big bucks to play video games. So when you understand the value of time, you use it more wisely. You mm-hmm. read the books, network with the people, you watch YouTube videos, you listen to podcasts to grow yourself. So then you can be then become that person in real life. So that stuck with me since day one is understand the true value of time and use it wisely. Absolutely, man. I couldn't have said it better myself, brother. Now, listen, obviously, we there's a lot more to the birth strategy. I want you I'm going to encourage you guys to click on that link and uh, visit Austin's page. Make sure you subscribe to it as well. In addition to that, man, we definitely want to have you back in the near future. There's so many uh, avenues of real estate we cover. We we thought we want to talk about private money, but the birth <laughs> strategy was was the was the one way that I felt that people can grasp to be able to really create that wealth relatively quickly. But a piece of that is private funding, man. And I think that we should probably do another another call on that if you if you're up to it. And if you guys want to see it, if you guys want to see it, leave a comment in the comment section. Let us know if you want to see that that type of episode and uh maybe we'll get together and do another one but yeah man been a real pleasure brother i appreciate you taking the time out today man and um you know uh with that being said i really appreciate you guys listening in to this podcast as well let us know what you thought about it below you know leave a comment like this video subscribe to this channel if you're on youtube if you're on a podcast share it Share it if you're on YouTube, right? Let the world hear this information because this is how you're going to create that real wealth in real estate. It's not always by wholesaling real estate, right? Wholesaling will get you rich if you work hard enough, but it'll never make you wealthy because wholesaling is a high paying job, right? Drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Passive income is how you become wealthy. Work, uh, Making money without working. And that's what this is all about, creating that real wealth in real estate. So I hope you guys picked up some gems. I know you did, in fact. You know, if you didn't, I don't know what rock you're under right now. So you definitely need to listen to this podcast again and and make sure you, more important than anything, take action with the information because information is great, but it's useless if you're not doing nothing with it. So I appreciate you guys very much. Looking forward to dropping a lot more content for you. Hopefully we'll have Austin back as well and uh, look forward to seeing you guys soon. Peace. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash jamelgibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to REI Education Academy. 
www.ryanbrown.com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.